Well, uh, this morning I had told you that we're talking about hugs, all right? This morning's theme is hugs. We find ourselves talking about hugs in the second season of Lent, and you might say, well, hey, what is Lent? Lent is a 40-day period of time in which the church pushes the pause button on everything else and turns inwardly to uh, take a reality check on where we're at spiritually, where we're at in our walk with the Lord. 40 days, kind of like when Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, or the Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness, or Elijah spent 40 days in the wilderness, kind of like that. We pause for 40 days to turn inward. We're using agricultural themes here at, uh, um, what church do I pastor at? New Beginnings. <laughs> Whoa, my mind is all over the place. Uh, We use agricultural themes uh, here for for Lent. We are this year. And so that is why we have these two terms. Each week we'll be revealing a new agricultural term. And for those that are into horticulture, you'll kind of know where we are progressing. It should be no secret because we're Christian people. We start on Ash Wednesday, right? And where do we end up? Easter, Easter, yeah, in case you didn't know, Christians started Ash Wednesday and they go to Easter uh, every year. Easter keeps coming back up. And Easter is like springtime, right? You wear the pretty colors and flowers and new creation. Just like in horticulture, uh, you start at the end of the season, at the end of the harvest, you start with everything being picked. And today we'll find out being burned to get ready for the new harvest, the new creation for the springtime. And so each week we'll be revealing a new term. I failed to mention this last week, but I had the whole, if you were here last week, I preached a whole second half of the sermon that was just from my heart. Um, and that missed out the other second half of the what I had prepared to say to you, and that talked all about ash. And I just left all that out. So last week we gathered, and you're probably thinking, why is there the word ash just hanging out there by itself? Well, I had meant to tell you that, but uh, forgot. This week, I'm not going to forget. Last week's focus was ash. This week's focus is burn. We're going to get to the topic of burn via hugs. We're going to ride hugs into the topic of burn. And I hope by the time we are all done, this will make way more sense than it probably does right now. Hugs are fantastic because hugs are powerful communicators. Uh, the hor- is it the hormone? I'm not sure what it is. Oxytocin. What is that? Is it a hormone? It is a hormone. Hormone oxytocin. Say that with me real loud. Ready? Oxytocin. Yes. Repeat. How about that? Repeat after me. Oxytocin. Yes, oxytocin is that hormone that's released. I think it takes 30 seconds. So you got to really know the person. But if you hug your significant other and you hold them close, after about 30 seconds, you'll begin to feel a different sensation, a release, a relaxation. Hugs help with emotional connection. Hugs help for a sense of belonging to know that, hey, you know, like you go in, Gene, you give a bro hug or whatever, and, and it's like, yeah, man. You don't linger. Now, listen, bros don't have time for 30 seconds. That gets awkward. But uh, you get a little back pat and a little pull in the arm, and you, just, you feel like you're connected, right? Hugs have this powerful, hugs are a powerful communica- <laughs> tool of communication. Hadley and I are working on our hugs. Now, listen, I have to be honest with you. 
I'm manipulating this situation 100% because Hadley does not like to be touched by me, okay? And I'm not ready for my baby girl to run away from me, okay? And so I have found that she likes to jump off stuff. And so I will tell her, um, I was like, Hadley, I'd like to practice a new hug with you, and I'll set her up on something she can jump off of, and then she'll jump off that thing and into my arms, and though I only get a split second to hold her, I get a split second, and she loves it and asks to do it again, so we're calling it um, whatever she wants to name it, it's just the new super duper hug of the Edwards household, and I'll come into the house, I'll see Hadley, and I'll say, hey babe, I think it's time for a hug, and she'll come running, she'll jump up, or jump to my arms, get up on the counter, and she'll go, okay, okay, daddy, this hug, this, and if you know my daughter, this sounds like her, okay, this, this hug is called scrumptiously umptious hug, something like that. She'll just make a term up, and then she'll leap, she'll leap off the concrete counter into my arms, and we'll do it again, and she'll go, okay, daddy, daddy, this hug is called the couch hug, and she'll run to the couch, get onto the arm of the couch, jump off the couch into my arms. We're creating all new sorts of hugs because I can't let go of the sensation of holding my daughter and pulling her into my chest and holding her there, even if it's for a split second. Hugs, right? They're a powerful communicator. And man, that little girl has no idea how much I love her. And somewhere in Indiana, my mom is saying the same thing about me, (laughs) saying, oh, that little boy has no idea how much I love him. She's right. I probably have no clue. And Hadley has no clue how much I love her. But somewhere, at some point this week, you'll know that in the Edwards household, a father's love is being fulfilled as Hadley leaps into my arms. I imagine Psalm 27 to be its own type of hug. I imagine what we're going to read here in a second, and I'll have you stand, not yet, but just in a moment, so prepare yourself. I imagine Psalm 27 to be its own type of hug, a divine connection between God's heart and David's heart, a collision, a collision of God's heart and David's heart. A collision of love that tethers. Think about a string that a string that kind of connects on to David's heart, latches on to God's heart, and there is this tethering connection of eternal love between God and David. I want to title this new hug in the spirit of my daughter. I want to give this hug a title. I want to call it the tethering string hug. And if you're wondering, well, what's a tethering string hug besides the fact that a connection between David and God's heart? Well, Psalms 27 provides the definition. And so we'll need to read Psalm 27 to figure out what a tethering string hug is. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? Friends, my privilege to read to you From the word of the Lord, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing the pra- and singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You've always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me. O God of my salvation, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands. You see, they accuse me of things I've never even done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, you may be seated. David, as we've heard here, um, has a lot to be afraid of. I believe the words he uses here in this psalm is evil people, enemies, foes, heck, even a mighty army. David has a lot coming after him. He has a, a lot to be afraid of. And in fact, when we study the language of this psalm, what we realize is these are mostly stock phrases. They're stock phrases that suggest generalized troubles, that point to probably common troubles for someone in David's context. So, for instance, pilgrimage is, were a big thing in those uh, days, and a lot of these troubles are representative of someone coming back home from a pilgrimage journey who they might encounter in the woods, <laughs> in places that were less developed than here. Think of taking a long journey without very many lights in the dark. Uh, who, that would freak me out. <laughs> And uh, David is a little nervous here of what, whom he might find in the dark. It could also point to David's context as a royal leader. The royal trouble that uh, a palace might find itself in when the king is away and then returns from battle, just like when you leave work for vacation and you come back and you have 7 million emails to tend to. This also could contextualize this psalm for us. Either way, the stock terms used here is simply to point us to common trouble. This isn't acute trauma. This is everyday type of fear. This is general fear. This is the normal troubles that anyone in that position would face and the normal troubles in your position that you face. Where hugs are a great emotional support, trouble creates the exact opposite. There's no oxytocin released when trouble strikes. That's why hugs become important, because when trouble strikes, we experience heightened anxiety. We doubt if we belong. You know, like think of the last time that you felt trouble near to you. You probably wouldn't describe that event as one in which was a great sense of belonging. You probably felt isolated, alone, 
emotionally, you were probably wrecked. In that moment when trouble came after you, you were probably seeking a deep connection. When we're running from trouble, it's interesting to me, Jessica, this week I was thinking about that. I can name the trouble I'm running from. I could now even, if you said, Jake, what are the things that troubled you? I could give them all names. I could list them. I could describe them to you. I know what I'm running from, but then, Mark, you might ask, well, what are you running towards? Isn't that funny? Like, we can so easily name the things that we're running, or the people even, that we're running from. When I was 18 years old, I could easily tell you, I'm running away from my mom and dad. I'm going to college, and I'm going to be different than my mom and dad. I knew exactly what I was running away from. Now it's funny, because if I was running towards anything, whether I want to or not, I'm running towards being just like my mom and dad. Can't always tell you what I'm running towards. Can you always tell me what you're running towards? We might know what we're running from, but what are we running into? What's unique about this psalm is David both lists both. He knows exactly what he's running from. And he also knows exactly who he's running towards. For David, this is different. An encounter with God has developed a trust in God's character that is deep and lasting. It's a type of trust that David holds on to in the days of his trouble. You see, trust is developed in the knowledge of God's character. The knowledge of God's character, it develops trust in verse 1. We see it. Light, life, salvation, refuge, As David knows exactly who God is and what God does, he cries out for a torch to light his way, just like the Israelites had in the Exodus, God going before them as a torch of fire, lighting the dark paths that were uncertain and scary. David knows that God's breath is the breath of life, the same breath that breathes forth dust in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, is the same God that David cries out to, right? You are my light and you are my life. God knows, God knows, God knows, yes. David knows also that God is salvation, that God rescues, and that God saves. David knows that God is refuge, that in a place where he needs to seek asylum, that God becomes that sanctuary, that God becomes the place in which, like the Underground Railroad worked in the 19th centuries, just like that, that David can run along the dark paths and find refuge in God. Don't you see here? That trust is developed in the knowledge of God's character. This psalm is about two things. It's about trust and it's about request. From trust, request can be made. Now, I want you to apply that in a, a moment. In your, I, want, no, I mean, sorry. In this moment, I want you to apply that to your prayer life. I believe it's possible that I've made lots of requests without trusting if God can actually do that or not. As I've had to sit down and reconcile this psalm with my home life, I've had a moment, man, what if I reversed that whole process of prayer? Instead of running to God with requests, 
this whole psalm starts not, this can be broken down like this. Verses 1 through 6 is all about trust. Verses 7 through 14 is all about making the request known. Isn't that interesting? That he starts first with establishing whom he knows God to be, and then he unloads request. The heaviest type of request. Wow, how might that even change the way that we worship at New Beginnings Church? If we begin to intentionally and deliberately establish who we know God to be, the very character of God, not who we hope God to be, no, who we know God to be, and then go into congregational requests. I feel like that's actually the pattern we do have. But it's striking to me. There's three things specifically about trust that we learn. But before we get to that, I want to pause here. In fact, I'm, I'm going to turn my mic off too. I want to All right. There are three things that can be learned about trust in this psalm. First, trust creates a longing for presence. Verse 4 this is one of the most beautiful verses in all the Psalms, for me at least. Trust creates a longing for presence. You can hear David's longing in this verse. The one thing I ask, the thing I seek most, is to live all my days with you, to delight in who you are, and to meditate upon your character. The more David trusts the Lord, the more his heart longs to be face to face. Not just to be in proximity, but one of those eye-to-eye hugs, you know. None of this A-frame crud. <laughs> the, more da- <laughs> the more David gets to know whom God is, he wants to be all up in his face. David is speaking here as a lover who has had an encounter with his love. He's speaking here exegetically as a pilgrim who has had an encounter in God's holy place and he longs for that encounter again. He knows from experience. He knows from encounter. He knows from faith and from trust that God is good and that God provides Safety, and so in the friendship that the Lord has formed with David, David longs to be with his best friend. The second point about trust that we learn is that presence, this close presence that David longs for, it builds the foundation for confident requests to be made known in the days of trouble. If you have a good relationship with your mom or dad, you know exactly how this works. In the days of trouble, when you were young, where did you go? Now, if you, yeah, I know I did, and I have a good relationship with my parents. If you don't have a good relationship with your parents, I bet that there is a family member or a close friend or a mentor that you would run to, right? And you would know out of that relationship you have developed a confidence that when you lay your burden with them or on them, they will be good to at least hear, if not act. Presence with God builds the foundation for David to be confident in his request to make known in reality what he's facing in his days of trouble. 
I want to call this relationship of presence, I want to call it friendship. Friendship with God creates a trust in the promise and faithfulness of God. Listen, verse 7, listen to these things. Hear me when I call, right? And it's only after six verses of, I know you, I know who you are. You are my refuge. You are my dwelling place. Ooh, I want to burn offerings all night in your temple. I never want to leave your presence ever again. So I know I can ask you to hear me when I call, verse 7. Verse 8. I'm seeking after you, verse 9 and 10. Do not hide away from me. Don't be angry with me. Don't abandon me. Please, Lord, don't forsake me. These are, not, these are intense words, but these are not the words he leads with. What are the words that he leads with? Words of trust. Establishing the relationship so that he know in his deep, connected hug, face-to-face with God, he can call on him to be non-angry because God is compassionate. He can call on God not to abandon him because God is a God that has gone before him like a light that lights the way. He knows that God will not forsake him for he knows the promises of God. Teach me your ways. Take me in as a child. Verses 10 and 11 communicate. Lead me on a level path. You see, the friendship that God has established with David, that David has established with God has created a foundation for confident request. The third thing we learn about trust in this passage is that trust strengthens the heart for patience and the hope in the Lord. This will come from verse 13. Yet I'm confident, David writes, I will see the Lord's goodness while I am standing here in the land of the living. Let me translate that. I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness in the year 2019. He's not talking about some other far-off place in which he'll see the Lord's goodness once he goes to the sweet by and by. David is confident because he knows the promises of God. It's like the Lord has hugged him so tight and so close that a little bit of the likeness of God's heart has seeped into David's and he knows that he can hope that God's goodness and kingdom will come in part today. He says, I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm standing here in the land of the living. David's confident for God's new work. Ready? Come on, this is my best homiletical work right here. Are you ready? You ready for it? Get, get ready. This is, I'm, so, I'm so pumped that I've actually written a sermon that works, okay? You ready? David is confident for God's new work like the burned field can be confident for the coming spring. He said we're going to get to burn through hugs. David knows God so intimately. It's like one of those 30-second oxytocin hugs. In that hug, what's happening is all of the fear, all of those requests, all the animosity, animosity, excuse me, all of the potential anger and all of the danger is being burned from his heart. And what's opening up is a longing for God to cultivate within in him a whole brand new thing. Man, it's like a field after harvest season that gets burned. It's like uh, the uh, um, Flint Hills here. That's the Flint Hills. 
It's like the Flint Hills being burned every fall. How many have seen the Flint Hills on fire? It's beautiful. You should go out there in the fall. It, it, it's, it's eerie. It's like that. I mean, that's a picture of it. But they burn those fields every year. Why? They're getting rid of all the baggage that is not allowing the fields to reap new harvest in the spring. David's trust in the Lord burns away all those potential fears. It's not that David can't have them. No, it's that David has established such clear character of who God is that he knows exactly where to take his doubt. He knows exactly where to take his trauma, where to place his pain. He knows because he knows who God's going to be. God is going to be like a far-off horizon that breaks in the springtime morning and the sun rises and begins to heat the frosted field. God knows that from, or David knows from elsewhere, God will break in and tether. Woo, praise be to God. Tether David's heart to God's. So here's the sermon. We need to burn off all the excess, guys. So that we can run confidently into the heart of our Father and be established in His love. The last slide I want up, and then I'm going to call the band for it, actually. Yeah, the whole band could come. Because I think that last, that last song we sang, um, Running into Sheol, that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the one with she all in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. I'm wanting to end on a more exciting note. I'm feeling excited this morning. And I, I, I think we ought to scream at the top of our lungs, well, as much as you're confident, that God's heart won't stop tethering ours, connecting our hearts to his so that in the days of trouble we can run. Here's that last slide. Trust in the character of God creates a heart ready for the presence of the Lord. I just want to run through these bullet points. God's loyal love breaks into David's world from elsewhere. A love that attaches itself to the heart of David and connects it to the heart of God like a string from the heavens. Into David's trouble... God breaks through with the power to save. You can replace your name if that helps you. Into James' day of trouble, God breaks through with the power to save. God connects the perfection of his world to the imperfection of Terry's. See, Christians know this string to be Jesus Christ who breaks into the world of Jake's and Rex's, Stewart's, Deb's, Sherry's. Raytown Souths and connects the outside perfect world with this decaying one, thus connecting our death to his life. So it's with confidence I can say today that in Christ, through the Spirit, we are held together in God's new world. And God's new world is becoming ours. The old is dying. The old is being Burned away, the new is arriving. Hugs, well, they're like anchors that tether us to the in-breaking kingdom of God. They connect us to one another. 
They connect us to God, and they connect us to one another. Reuben, would you mind to serve as an illustration for me? Could I give you a hug? I can't give you a hug? Great. Grace, can I give you? Uh, are you serious? Thank you, Mark. Oh, man. Nothing like increasing anxiety when people start, like, denying to hug you. Thank you, Mark. It's impossible. It's impossible to come so close to someone and continue to hate someone. Something happens when we hug one another. Something happens when we hug God. How do we hug God? I think it starts with trust. That's this sermon. You can leave now. That's the sermon. We come close to the presence of the Father by developing our trust in God's character. That for us means we're going to have to read the word. We're going to have to pray together. We're going to have to study. Church is important because that's where, that's, that's where we gather for worship. It's where we learn. These things develop the character of God. That creates our trust, our hug. That creates our hug. But then the great commission and the power of the Spirit sends us where, Elizabeth? Always to one another. Always to one another. And I can't hug Bonnie Perry without loving Bonnie Perry. I can't hug Deb Atwood. I can't hug Mike Atwood without loving Mike Atwood. There's something that happens. So what I'm wanting to do today, I was told by my preaching mentor to always end a sermon with a challenge. So here, here's a challenge for you. We know that hugs cause us to crash into one another. We know that when we hug God, that our perspective changes from a worldly perspective to the perspective he gives us in his grace. And when we hug one another, my perspective of whitewashed Lee Summit crashes into James Light's perspective of downtown Kansas City. And my, that's where he works. And my life is changed because I'm holding close to my friend whose life has been changed. So how is God reaching into your world to offer you a hug today? And how are you reaching into the world of the other to offer them a hug today? I see this working in two ways. That when we come face to face with the presence of God and our heart tethered with his, friends, you'll know no other greater sense of joy than that. You'll know no other sense of freedom than that. You'll be like David who in the days of trouble can come running to the Lord saying, I want to spend all my days with you because that's where the source of your hope comes from. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I don't, if you have not had an encounter with God where you are face to face with God, I would love to pray for you. We'll pray something that the theologians in here will get mad at me for, but I think we need to pray for it more. We'll pray the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon you so that you can become face to face with the Lord, so that you you can be washed anew with the power of his spirit and know the strength of his son. I'm telling you, if you haven't had any, maybe you've been a Christian for a million years, but if you don't have a fresh encounter with the Lord, oh, I cannot wait for you. Long to spend all my days with God because I've come to know him. Now, I long for the day when our neighbors know us as well as God wants to know us where our hearts become transformed into little sanctuaries, where our neighbors say, ooh, I long to spend all my days at the Light's house. 
Because the lights have something there that I need. I long to spend all my days with grace even though she rejected me. Like, there, like there's power there. And so I'm wondering today who needs our hugs. I'm wondering if the Islamic community today doesn't need our hugs. I'm wondering today if someone from Raytown South, she's sitting right there, doesn't need our hugs today. They've experienced school violence this week, uh, fatal violence this week. I'm wondering if your neighbor does not need your love. A hug from you. Maybe you don't know them well enough to give them an actual physical hug. Maybe your hug looks like taking them out for coffee, dropping them a note, giving them a phone call, sending them a text, right? You'll work up to the time when maybe you can give a side hug or an A-frame hug or whatever. The actual hug doesn't really matter. Coming close with our hearts open to the world to know the peace of Christ that dwells in here. We're going to sing about the heart of God chasing after us. Let us today commit. Who is it that you need to chase after and give all your heart to? Spouse, friend, neighbor, child, parent, coworker? Who do you need to fling your, your sanctuaried heart wide open saying, come, let us connect? Let us tether our lives together. How is God wanting to do that with you? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. Father, we confess that your heart is chasing after ours and that we have no love that doesn't first come from yours. So, Father, tether your heart to ours just like you did with David. and Set us free on mission to love others with a full, unabandoned heart. Burn away, Lord, what needs to be burned in your love. Amen.